everything you never need to know about movies music and theater now this is the third time i've been doing uh, a podcast like this and because it's the third time i decided and it sounds like it's going to be a um an, an ongoing thing because movies on movies i've decided to give it a name so this series is now called the movie boys and this is when i have a guest um, of some unnotoriety come on the show and talk about well, modern movies that we've seen recently that, for lack of a better phrasing, just plain suck. Um, there will be a parental advisor on this. Um, and of course, the guest I'm talking about is my good friend, ugly friend number three, uh, Chris, right here. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Um, so we are going to talk about three specific movies that have recently come out that we have... Um, scene and um also so i i because i know these movies normally you and i actually go and see movies together um but we haven't had a chance to just because of scheduling um but i do know that we have a third person uh handsome handsome person number number one um who usually goes to see the movies with us. Did he go and see these particular movies with you or did you go solo? Well, well, first let me say, uh, you don't wanna see ugly guest number one. Oh boy, I felt bad for him. So that what a compliment, ugly guest number three. But um, yeah, no, he, he did go see all the movies we're gonna talk about. And uh, he, he gave me permission to, uh, to speak his opinion. Okay. on the podcast and okay. i'm actually really happy that we have his opinion because he will be straw man number one <laughs> for a lot of this but also he there's he's so actually, many numbers rolling around here <laughs> i know he's he's actually tapped into the mainstream media mm. kind of um youtube version of these movies so i love <laughs> hearing his opinion because um and one of the th- and we'll, as we talk about Thor, Love and Thunder, I'll give his opinion. And it's a lot of what you're seeing in the, in the newspapers and YouTube world, the spin that they're giving. And now one of the things that makes us unique is that we, we have many interests. And so one of our interests is politics. And it's fascinating how in politics you have what they call spin, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the White House is trying to spin this narrative. Well, a lot of people don't realize that movie studios do the exact same thing. And so I love his opinion because his opinion has that spin to it. Mm -hmm. And so I love to hear kind of what people are being fed. And hopefully your listeners will hear us talk in in kind of an unspinned environment. Well, and that's incredibly true because, um, I mean... We can go on and on about politics, especially the modern politics here. But I mean, for the most part, a, a movie studio, especially 
because none of these are quote unquote independent movies. We're talking about three big giant movies sure. that just came on that are backed by um, um, production companies, uh -huh. um, studios, and um, corporations. So it'd be different if we're talking about something like you know A twenty four movies, or if you're talking about independent movies coming out. Um, in the festival circuit those these movies are huge and they're meant to be huge and a lot of times you can tell if a movie is bad because the studio doesn't promote it as well as it should it they basically just let it die and just you know look at new mutants when new mutants finally came out it basically died a a, a, a poor person's death to the nth degree now that now there's a great book i can't think of the name of it but it, i think it's blockbuster something there's actually a great Book that talks about these about the selling of movies because unfortunately we live in a time now this is past the auteurs this is past when new hollywood took took over it and this is even past you know the 80s and the 90s when you know movie studios at least listen to the customers at this point now they they have several agendas if you will an agenda of wokeness and you know the cancer cult cancer culture which i'm not about to you know bastardize i understand why certain things happen the way they do but there are also certain individuals who have taken advantage of those things and then also taking it and also then trying to look at the mess the the majority of moviegoers and trying to make something specifically for them as opposed to worry about what's important, which is story, characters, and character development, and the script, you know, script-wise. A lot of times now, if you look at a movie, there is no character development. There is no characters, even in general. There's big ideas that basically were on a big bulletin board or a big whiteboard that the studio said, we have to say these particular things. And, um, and, and, and everything, and even the idea of um, curiosity and courage within movies has kind of gone the way of the dodo. There's not, they don't think about stakes. They think about what works best for the, 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 the agenda they're trying to push. And I'm not saying that I'm against the LBGT community or women or anything like that. I think there should be representation in movies, but we, but they should have the same respect in movies that people had back, you know, back before, you know, we just, we, we need to give them fully fleshed characters as opposed to just, oh, I'm a person who fits a specific demographic and you're supposed to like me just because I am that person as opposed to like, let's give them a character and give them sympathy and make them a likable character. Sometimes they're not likable characters, unfortunately, which is really cruddy, you know. Um, but but so these big, so the, the three movies we're talking about, our Elvis, uh, the new 2022 movie that Baz Luhrmann directed with uh, Austin Butler in the role, and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, yep. Tom Hanks of course. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion, which I have started to call Jurassic World Dominion. I love it. Uh, and Thor: Love and Thunder, or Thor: Love and Blunder. Well, uh, I like. Uh, I've heard. I heard today, Thor: Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> so we're going to talk about each individually. Um, overall, I will say there are moments that I like, honestly, in each. There, there are moments that I'm kind of like, okay, I can get on board with this. But overall, both all three let down the audience. And you're talking about an audience of people who 
people have grown up with Elvis. People have grown up with the Jurassic World, Jurassic, Jurassic Park mostly, but Jurassic Park movies, the wow. franchise. And people have started to come of age with the Marvel. You know, you're talking about three big names within the context of, of, the, of the stream. So Icons. I thank you. Yeah, iconic. All of them are iconic. Thor, whatever you say about the original Thor and Thor the Dark World, Thor is an icon. He is an IP. The same thing even with the fact that they made Elvis an Well, Elvis has been an IP because of Colonel Parker since the 70s, um, when Colonel Parker's wallet started getting thin. Um, and Jurassic part Jurassic World has basically been in the IP since 1993 when the first movie came out and was a huge um, success. So let's start with, I think we should start with the least offensive. Of yeah, let's three. go Elvis Jurassic Park 4. Because Elvis is the least offensive to me. I think Elvis is just a terrible movie with a terrible structure. Um, Chris, talk to me about your feelings on, let's talk about Elvis at the beginning. So Baz Luhrmann directed it. Now, Baz Luhrmann, if you're not, if you don't remember him, <laughs> um, Romeo and Juliet, uh, The Great Gatsby, um, Moulin Rouge, very stylized, very quick cut, very specific in terms of his style. Um, in my estimation, that style existed for about half of the movie and then out of nowhere the movie turned into a standard biopic bio yeah it, it it just lost all the energy and there were there were moments you could tell Baz Luhrmann was so involved so like okay this is how it's going to look and all the stuff and others it was just like the camera is here do the scene and then let's go back to the musical moments which is kind of annoying especially if you're going to set up a biopic the way it's set up um do you agree or do you disagree on the style of the movie well it it was very i found it very jarring in the first five minutes it it almost had like a comic book surreal feel yeah. and they kind of referenced the captain marvel comic books throughout the movie and how Elvis kind of, you know, saw himself as that character as like which the was hero. false, which was actually false, by the way. Well, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, half of this movie was false. And I, I love some people go, well, you know, half of all these biopics is false. Like, okay, but but why why are we why are we choosing to make certain things false? Why are we choosing to to speak the truth over these? It's like, okay. That's not an excuse. That's not a reason mm -hmm. to make something, you know, false or not false. Just because other picks, it's it's. I, yeah. Anyway, I could go off on that. But no, no, um, I know, and I, I agree with you because, um, and actually, in the future, there will be an episode about biopics that a friend of mine and I are are, are prepping uh, currently. Um, that some are very accurate, and they get into the nuances of specific decisions. The problem with with biopics, just to get on uh, on a tangent, because you open the door. Um, sorry. <laughs> to to go from a birth to death you know, cradle to grave story yes. is really hard to do in a movie for two hours. You like, look at something like Chaplin, great performance by Robert Downey Jr., but terrible, terrible movie. Same thing with Gandhi, same thing with, you know, pick a, pick a biopic, even Amadeus, there's, it, it, it lacks because you're trying to tell the whole story. The best thing to do, and I will give one example, which was, um, 
Steve Jobs, the new the the Michael Fassbender Steve Jobs, to me was a great movie because it had three specific scenes. He was trying to do three specific things, and there were and within those moments, the characters grew and basically the backstory was developed because of the want of the characters which sorkin did very very well he didn't do very well with being uh the ricardos that was a terrible movie but steve jobs i think hit the peak of how you do that even social network was not a cradle to grave story it was a specific time in mark zuckerberg's life um but if you look at like the jobs movie that Kuch, uh, Aston Kutcher was in, it was a creative grave story and it didn't work because there was just, there's so much story to tell. So oh. picking a specific event is the way I think biopics should work. Well, and eggs, when this movie, when I saw the trailer, me and uh, my friend were talking, we were like, wow, I wonder what events they're going to cover. Like we, we were all thinking like, okay, this is going to end when his mother dies. This movie's going to end. You're going to see the beginning of Elvis he goes into the army, his mother dies, and then it's going to maybe like you're going to see the very beginning of his comeback tour in 68. That's I, thought, I, I thought that's where it was going to end, the comeback tour. The, 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 yeah, I thought that the, the, the leather black suit, I thought that was where it's going to end. Exactly, yeah. yes. And, <laughs> and so you, you could think, wow, that could be a nice two and a half hour movie. What we got was a, I don't even know. I mean, I'm going to look right now how long this movie I, I, was. I, I, I Do you have right, it? Yeah, I have it right here. It's 159 minutes. So it was almost three hours. Okay. We got Elvis's entire life. And it felt like we didn't really discover or explore any of it. No. I've, in, in the opening credit, we started with the stylistic, right? It started in this comic booky, weird, like, we're just going to touch on this really fast. And it was like a hit, like an like an origin story, like a, like a Marvel origin story. We're going to touch on this really quick. We we start the movie with Elvis getting ready to start his his um I guess iconic first performance at the Hayride. Um, you know, he's about to go on stage and he gets discovered, and it's like this big culminating event. Okay. And then we get little flashbacks to him looking at blues music, to him looking at gospel music, but we don't really understand how he got to this place. So then, then in, in like a, tra- we'll do the superhero analogy, in a training montage, in air quotes, we get him touring the South, him going on the, you know, the Ed Sullivan show, and then boom, he's and then he makes another iconic performance and then gets put in the military and then from there we just we spent a lot of time on vegas and he dies okay none of it felt fully um explored the breadth of which we never really um got into Mm -hmm. and then this is where my my comment about well you know they're all 50 percent true okay if you're going to tell a falsehood in a biopic, why? Well, a lot of times it's to create more drama. It's, you know, oh, you know, like uh, Johnny Cash um, walked the line. He like, he's like falls over on the tractor mm. and you're like, and he's like trapped under it. And you're like, oh my God, he's trying to kill himself. And, you know, someone could be like, well, you know, John, he never actually operated a tractor. Okay. 
it's to it's to fantasize mm-hmm. what was true in his life, which was he wanted to kill. He was his behavior was self destructive. We we symbolized it in the movie stylistically by him on a tractor. Okay, what we got in the Elvis movie was the Colonel. It really was a it was it was a Colonel biopic. I don't even think it was an Elvis pick, really. It's been more time on Tom Hanks, but hold on. We get this iconic moment of Elvis going into the military. And we're like, wow, how did he make that decision at the height of his career to go into the army? And the movie lied and portrayed it as either you go to jail or you go into the army. When in reality, that was never the case. That was never his choices. He he actually you know, one could argue was a patriot and he went into the army. Um, the, the country asked him to do it. And he would actually, if you, if you do any research on it, he wanted to be in the army to, to kind of be like this everyday man. And he didn't want to take, get special treatment. He, he used that time in the army to really build himself up. And, um, and it actually meant something to him. And, you know, he, he, he worked with the Nixon administration. He, he was like a, he was like a, um, a, a DEA officer at one point. But, but the point is, he was, a, he was a patriot. I mean, he criticized the Beatles, right? He wanted them deported because he thought it was, they were bad for America. He was a patriot. He went into the army. The movie portrays it as you either go to the army or you go to jail. It portrays him as the colonel swindled him into going to the army. And it makes Elvis look like he's tricked mm. in the entire movie. That is the theme. That is what the lies of this movie mm. were meant to portray is Elvis got tricked. His dad tricked him. His, his, um, <laughs> his dad tricked him. The Colonel tricked him. Everybody was tricking Elvis. The, they, they tricked him to do the hound dog performance in the tux. It, it, everybody, Elvis was not the agent of his own story. And to me, that was a travesty. And I think it was disrespectful. I think there was, and I'll, I'll be quiet in a second, but there were, the, I thought that the rap music in the middle of it mm-hmm. further symbolized, and at the end further symbolized the disrespect they had for this character in this life. And one more thing, the montages they had of him, there was like three, him growing up, him touring the South, and him after his protest song, after his comeback tour, getting all this recognition, they glossed over the most important, iconic parts of his life that made him who he was. If you didn't know who Elvis was coming out of this movie, you'd be like, yeah, you know, he was a good singer. He got swindled out of all his money and he got tricked, but I don't really know what the hype was. Why does everybody really like Elvis? Okay, yeah, he wiggled his hip. Oh, that's why all the girls liked him. Elvis, I mean, you could easily say Elvis was, I mean, the inspiration for rock and roll music. He was the first one to perform with a guitar. Everybody else was doing pianos and saxophones. He had a guitar in his hands. Some people have credited him as birthing rock and roll and in the guitar and electric guitar um, uh, instrumentation that took over rock and roll. Everybody, he is the number one Still to this day, he has sold the most um, albums as a single artist. And you would never know that from this movie. And I thought it was disgraceful. 
there's a lot of things that I, I, I agree with you because the because um, the movie begins with Tom Parker. Tom Parker is the narrator during the whole thing. And mm-hmm. it ends up being more of who is Tom Parker as opposed to who is actually Elvis. Elvis was just a catalyst. Now, mm. Austin gave a great performance. I think he did did Elvis. I think he did Elvis justice with what they gave I him. I agree. The, the, the look, the sound, obviously I know he wasn't singing, but um, just the, the way he carried himself and the way he, he looked was perfect. I agree absolutely with 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 that that you make you're making elvis the victim oh. and you're making tom parker the villain or oh. the reason for all that and also you you made it that he became iconic because he was wiggling his hips you completely discredit discredit the fact that his voice is what got oh. him noticed people immediately started to hear that voice and yeah did was it true that um radio commentators were like oh this is this is the devil's work yes that was absolutely true they thought but they thought all rock and roll was the devil's work it wasn't just elvis and they utilized elvis basically as the poster boy of this is evil this whole rock and roll thing, the Beatles, the this, the that, this is evil. It wasn't just Elvis, but Elvis became iconic exactly the way you said. He was alone in the spotlight and in front, and he was putting himself on the line. That takes courage. What he did takes bravery and courage and talent, and not everyone has that. But what we did in the movie is we made him kind of, happenstance and just luck and it was tom i would say cowardly yeah they made him i mean you said it perfectly they made him out to be a bitch and i agree with you because it 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 made it feel like like there were certain things that were important to him he wanted his family to be taken care of because they came from impoverished and poverty that made that makes sense he didn't however allow for his father to like steal from him never never he didn't his mother wasn't overbearing and telling him what he should and shouldn't do. They were supportive. They were absolutely supportive of everything he did. And yes, did he sign a terrible deal? Yes. But how many other people have they all did. Everyone signed terrible deals because you're young, you don't know what you're doing and no one's there to tell you what. And again, he didn't have that much schooling. I mean, you know, poor man. Um, And yes, you can say that he was a victim very similar to like, judy garland where Mm. you know it was that they wanted their flesh they wanted him to get up and doesn't matter what they stuck in his arm or what they put down his throat but after a while an addiction took over and in this movie there's nothing there's no there's a moment where he just resigns himself to this is my destiny but that's not how addiction works that's not it's a disease that that the that takes over the person that you don't recognize that it's a disease um and i think the the, and I think the most amazing part of Elvis is those last several years of his life. I really think, because at the time when, after Priscilla left and, you know, he's seeing his daughter every so often, that's your story. That is the most dramatic moment of him deciding whether or not he actually wants to live or not, putting barbiturates in his body because he honestly has nothing else to live for. And yes, did he have a girlfriend? Absolutely. But yep. he loved Priscilla. That's your story. The love story is them. The story is not Tom Parker and Elvis. Tom Parker is 
at very least a, a supporting character within the story of Elvis Presley. But the story is Elvis, Priscilla, and Lisa Marie. That is the, the solid. And I feel so bad that, that Lisa Marie and, and Priscilla are still alive to have to have seen this abomination. Tra travesty. Yeah. It's an absolutely. abomination. Yeah. I mean, I, it's I so agree. disrespectful. And and they they made real sure to tell you that Elvis stole all his music yeah. from, you know, the blues players of that time. They, they made real sure to highlight that. The thing is, the other story that the other story that's not told within this is one that, so a couple things also, I, I just thought of this. Elvis going into the army was such a big deal. They wrote a fucking musical called Bye Bye Birdie <laughs> yeah. based exactly on yes. the fucking moment. It's yeah. not just a kind of, oh, you have to do this or that. Okay, I'm in the army and then I met Priscilla. It was a whole deal. They they publicized the shit out of the fact that Elvis was going in the army yeah. and they made it life or death for people to see Elvis because he's going in the army. He might fucking die. You know what I mean? So that was one thing. Well, he's serving his country. He's serving his country, but 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 you're. The, but that I'm saying the, that's the government used it to, for yeah. recruitment and saying, yes. "Oh, Elvis is going to serve his country. You should too." But the other thing too is Tom Parker utilized it to sell memorabilia and sell little girls on the fact that he might die so you have to buy his records now and you have to see him before he goes into the army that's it was all american it was all essentially sex and it was patriotism but it was cloaked within the idea of selling wares essentially um but the, the but that's so that the, so the story that's a story right there that's a whole section of a story right there yeah. the other thing that it, it there's another story that exists another play that exists elvis was influenced by so many people at yes. the time elvis was coming up johnny cash was there carl perkins jerry lee lewis these are people that came up with them who were peers that they were all influencing each other and rock and rolling together was he friends with um african-american uh, uh singers did he see uh um chuck berry um uh, well chuck berry but did he see uh um, um little richard absolutely that was mm. i love that that was in the movie but yes. they made it so minimalized that he's stealing from them yes. it was it was the best kind of um collaboration because they were teaching him and he was teaching them and it was a it was a collaboration it's the same kind of thing with people who are still bitching about um the album graceland that paul simon stole from um south africans south africans have gone on record and saying we used paul just as much as paul used us it was equal elvis used the african-american musicians just as much as they used him to get their songs played on the white radios which was not a thing back in those days you couldn't hear um african you couldn't listen to chuck berry on the radio you had to tune into the african-american radio yes. which is disgusting and that but that should have been highlighted even more like they just touched on segregation it's one of those things that like oh we'll just touch on it because we don't want to piss anyone off talk about the segregation talk about the fact that he at, in a small way tried to play in front of mixed race 
dance halls that he was trying yes. to be insistent on that. That actually is a thing. He said, I will not play under Jim Crow law if I yes. can help it. You know what I mean? That's if you, if you as a studio are trying to make a statement of, especially in this day and age, that we are not racist, there's your story. Talk, talk about the friendship with Chuck Berry and Elvis. That's a whole three hour movie right there. So, and B.B. King. B.B. King was one of his best friends. I mean, B.B. King's in this movie. Um, you know, B.B., you know, I, I implore your audience to go look at B.B. B.B. King talk about Elvis on, on uh, YouTube. He has a great uh, interview. Yeah. B.B. King, like, King is one of the greatest guitarists I've ever heard in my life. And Chris and I should know because we're both guitarists. So he, he paved the way for everyone, just like Fats Domino paved the way for pianists all over the place. Exactly. And it, it's, so the question is, what story did they want to tell? They want to tell a story about Tom Parker swindling Elvis yeah. out of everything and, and implying he kind of killed Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. how is that the Elvis story? that we deserve i mean really it's it's not it's like the same thing with like the marilyn monroe stories that we've seen multiple times that exactly bombshell and all this stuff the problem with icons is that you have to whoever's writing these fucking things have to bring them down to the bare essence and the i want because there's too many movies out there that don't have and i want why does this movie exist what is it trying to tell us what do you want to tell about your subject and if you just want to make all the subjects victims it's not Mm -hmm. going to work steve jobs was not a victim he actually was incredibly arrogant and that's actually true in real life but he was incredibly intelligent and he knew how to make the business work if they ever did a walt disney one i would hope to god that they wouldn't sugarcoat oh oh, you don't want them to do a Walt. no i know but i hope they wouldn't i hope they wouldn't sugarcoat the fact that disney um was multiple things but he was also a really good businessman he knew how to how to get what he needed out of the animators he wasn't their best friend he wasn't uncle walty he was a businessman and he was a son of a bitch but what was the uh the movie about mary poppins what was that called oh saving mr banks yeah yeah that's the closest you're gonna get to a walt disney biopic and you better hope to god they did not try and make that movie because you know exactly what Hollywood's going to do to that movie. Well, I have a spec script in the works for it. So we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so, so, for so yeah, Elvis, so Elvis for, me, Elvis for me, Elvis for me, if we're doing um, out of 10, I'd say three or four at best. I give it more because of Austin Butler's performance. The acting is, is, pretty good i didn't care for tom hanks i think tom hanks was miscast as colonel parker um oh, that's but, interesting but i do think austin butler did really good and i do have to give it to uh, olivia de uh, who played um priscilla she was a fine she knew how to play that role perfectly and hey David Wenham is Hank Snow. I didn't even realize that till I looked at the uh, at the thing. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, I liked I liked his character. You know, I liked his character a lot. I liked I, I liked most of them. And again, playing BB King, Kelvin Harris Harris Jr. was amazing. The singing, I like the guy they got to play with Little Richard too. Yeah, the singing was wonderful for most of the parts, especially the um, um, the African American moments, which those 
were brilliant when she's doing the hound dog up, up upstairs and yeah. Elvis yeah, is yeah, hearing yeah. it. Those moments were great. When you but you were right when they throw the rap music, it was oh. so it took I'd, me right out of it. Yeah, so I'd say three out of ten for out for Elvis. Well, um, on a scale of one to ten, I give it two kangaroos. <laughs> That's how we'll do it. Two kangaroos. All right. So we're going let's to talk. Let's, let's speaking of kangaroos. Speaking of let's kangaroos, talk about Jurassic Park Dominion, which I love. Dominion. So this is the so this is being called the last in the 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 franchise for now, I guess. Oh, it so, better be. So Dr- Jurassic Park Dominion takes up. Um, I think it's like okay, so it's four years after the Lockwood incident. Um, in Jurassic Fallen Kingdom, which is another abomination. Oh, um, so basically, <laughs> basically, you you have Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, and, um, and twenty million other characters that they introduce <laughs> in this movie. Well, you have the Jurassic World gang meeting up with the Jurassic Park gang, oh. and coming together. And I mean, I will give it that that they at least tried to give Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Sam Neill something to do. They weren't fully formed characters, but it was a little bit of nostalgia of like, oh, you know, we're gonna try to do this. I didn't like the whole Ellie and um, Alan getting back together and like rekindling their romance. Me personally, I think you should have put them together in Jurassic World Part Three, but that Jurassic Park Three, but that movie is another abomination. But it's that that one is. I equate that to a Mr. Deeds, like an Adam Sandler movie. It's stupid, but it's a funny stupid. And I can live with Jurassic World 3, uh, Jurassic Park 3. I keep doing it. Um, Jurassic World was basically a copy of Jurassic Park, except less good. Jurassic, yeah. World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was just stupid, just cartoonish. This uh, one, yeah. Jurassic Park Dominion, there's so many stupid moments. There's so much stupid science. Um, this Michael Crane is rolling in his in his grave, the poor man, that this is what he did. Um, I will give it that there are some really fascinating scenes and moments within the context of what they of what they're doing. Um, when Bryce Dallas Howard is in the jungle and she's being chased by some of that is really good perspective. Being chased by what? Um, whatever the big, big, big bird thing is. Oh, I don't even know. I can absolutely, I'm going to, um, okay, you better okay. talk about what you liked because I'm going to destroy this dinosaur in a second. So, the, well, no, the dinosaur was stupid, but the, but the, but I'm looking at it in terms of a film aspect that she's crawling into, in the dirt and then crawling okay. in the thing and just the perspective of the camera going down oh, and yeah. she's holding her breath and the beak is right above her. So, <laughs> you know, if okay, she- hold on. Okay, hold on. I'm going to destroy this scene. Okay, you destroy it. You destroy it. Okay. Do you think that dinosaur is a carnivore or a herbivore? See, I do agree that I think it's a car- it's a herbivore because it's a bird. Okay, bird. but in the movie, what would you think that it's, it's a carnivore? It's a carnivore. Okay. Yeah. Do you know that, do you remember that, oh, let's destroy this. <laughs> the scene enters with her getting ejected out of a plane mm-hmm. that is crashing into a mountain. Now, why you'd eject her into a dinosaur jungle, the dumbest, least able character in this movie. Mm-hmm. She ha- you're going to say she has a better chance with dinosaurs than surviving I'm, a plane crash? Now, listen, okay. I keep I her in the plane. Listen, I didn't say that the lead up to the moment that she's hold in on. The I just want to give people I just want to give okay. people like a, a setting. Yeah. 
I want to I want to set the stage. So she gets ejected out of a plane. Stupid move. She's hanging from the tree. And I I agree with you. Beautiful camera shot sets up a lot of suspense. And we see this ginormous ostrich looking dinosaur with feathers and a beak come around and its eye looks right at her. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay. Is it like a T-Rex where, because it literally it's, she is hanging eye level from this 60 foot dinosaur. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, that's weird. They wouldn't see her. She's just dangling there. Okay. There's a deer eating berries from a bush. And you're like, oh, this is nice. And the dinosaur walks, the dinosaur walks up to the deer and the deer is just eating berries. And you're like, oh, this must be a herbivore. It has a beak and the deer, which is eating berries is not moving. So like, oh, that's nice. Then you see this dinosaur's claws. And in one second, it swipes at the deer, kills it, blood splatters all over the leaves. And then this dinosaur proceeds to eat the berries. So you're like, wait a minute, is it gonna, is it a carnivore or is it a herbivore? Cause it just destroyed a deer and went about eating berries. And like, I'm confused. Now this dinosaur has ginormous Freddy Krueger-like claws. Matt, I'm gonna ask you, can you think of an animal in this world that has similar claws? That's similar claws to, to the, the big- Like really long claws. That's a mm. herbivore. That's that, um, eats, that eats leaves. Yeah, I mean most birds, I would honestly say. What about like a sloth? Sloths have long fingers, right? Right. Yeah. So, turns out, this bird I looked it up, like sloths, are herbivores, and the claws are meant to shear leaves off of really tall places. Why did it kill the deer? Why is it chasing this girl? Is it in a bad mood? It's like, oh, those are my leaves. Swipe. Like, could you imagine a sloth doing that? Yeah. So, and of course, this dinosaur just shows up at the end. And it's like, it, it gets the, tea, the bad dinosaur gets pushed into it. And its claws just kill it. And you're like, why is it there in the first place? Isn't it eating bushes like a sloth? So this is the first instance where the scene's good. I like what you said, the setup is good, but the fact that it's a, carna- uh, it's a herbivore dinosaur just hanging out, you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Now, there's another scene where I, and I'm sorry, was there anything else good about that scene that you liked? No, no, Have no. I ruined it for you? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I like Bryce Dallas Howard. I thought in general, movie, she was stupid. No, I'm not saying she's she, the character is great. I like her in general. I, oh, okay. I'm, a, I'm a fan of her of her as an actress. Not bad looking and etc. Go ahead. Okay, so this movie doesn't understand dinosaurs. That's the first moment where I'm like, well, oh, that doesn't really make sense. Well, hold on. We have to we have to talk about the fact that the director. Uh, Colin Trevorrow never understood dinosaurs. Look at Jurassic World. None of that makes scientific sense. At okay. least when Spielberg yeah. and Joe Johnson were doing the original trilogy, they were listening to paleontologists, specifically Jack Horner, and they were trying to get it absolutely right. By the time Jurassic World came around, science had thro- gun thrown out. Dr. Henry Rue was back out of some random reason and all of a sudden they're like oh we cloned 
this girl, this Maisie, but actually, just kidding, she's not cloned. We retcon it within, oh, yeah. within the story. We also retcon Lewis Dodson and that yeah. he somehow in some scene that we never saw, he actually has the Barbasol can and it's lasted for 40 fucking years. Like, come on, man. But the, I, I agree with you. They don't understand dinosaurs and they're dumb. But how about this? There's a, dino, there's a scene of dinosaurs where there's a giant brachiosaurus in the mountains in Colorado in the snow mm-hmm. or in Nevada. Um, what happens to iguanas? In the cold in Florida, Matt, well, that, I think they fall out of trees. Well, that, How is it. this giant brachiosaurus walking in the snow? Yeah. It should be dead. Well, that's the thing too, because I'm sitting there and there's so many moments, there were so many moments in the movie that um, might've been symbolism to what happened to the dinosaurs, the ice oh. age, the, oh, um, the, the, the asteroids. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, that's not how science works. I feel like Han Solo in Force Awakens, that's not how the force works. <laughs> it just a lot. So yes, I agree. This movie was absolutely ass. It was terrible. There was no, there was no, there wasn't even any kind of setup for most of the things that happened within the context of this. Because if you look back, if if we're looking at context in Jurassic World, Engine was the one who was ma- basically um, paying Dr. Wu's paycheck. Now all of a sudden, now he's working for Biosyn and he regrets all the problems that he's had. Also, can we talk about the fact that I wanted to slap Lewis Dodson every time he was eating, he was fucking eating something because it was so distracting. Every time he was like, every time on the set, was that his character decision that the actor was just like, I'm just going to eat candy because that shows that I'm a, I I don't, I'm, I'm cool. Hey guys, I'm wearing a turtleneck. Do I remind (laughs) you of Steve Jobs? I have white hair. Do I look like Elon Musk? Am I about to? (laughs) By Twitter, come on, like come on. I'm telling you, this movie was. I mean, the messages were all over the place. Do you remember the end message of the movie? Like literally the last scene of the movie. Do you remember what this stupid geneticist is saying? No, because none, none. Okay, nothing of the movie. I remember was it. Memorable. I remember it because it was so dumb. She goes, you know, we have to learn to live together, humans dinosaurs we need to take care of the planet and then you see on the screen triceratops and elephants running together you see giant pterodactyls and pigeons together and then you see like a shark-like dinosaur and whales now right now your listeners should be thinking hmm elephants and triceratops that's weird i don't think elephants really run with other animals and you would be right because that's not how animals work. I've never seen eagles hanging out with pigeons on my wire, okay? They kill other birds. Same thing with sharks. I've never seen sharks and whales just hanging out. Usually uh, they're enemies. Yeah. The so other- the message of the movie is we need to learn to live together. And then it, ju- and it goes to show that all these animals that would, you'd never see together, hanging yeah. out together. And you're like, wow, the, the, the movie thinks I'm so dumb that I'm going to see a triceratops and an elephant and be like, oh my God, this is what I always wanted to see my entire life. I wish someone could just put in a movie an elephant and a triceratops hanging out together. 
Here's the problem also with that with that um, sentiment. The movie begins that we're trying to coexist with dinosaurs, and yep. there's one motherfucker in the entire movie who literally says, "This cannot, we can, this is not sustainable." And then at the end of the movie, it's like, "Oh, never mind, it's sustainable. We're okay." I'm like, fuck off, film. That's 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 I got that from um the critical drinker. Fuck off film. Um there's so much wrong with this. And again, they tried to do, and I know you and I had this conversation about when it came to Rise of Skywalker. Every franchise, every franchise has been trying to redo the Marvel Endgame moment. That amazing moment when all the characters that you've grown to like and you are finally on set and captain america says assemble that was regardless of what you think of the marvel movies that was a that that lead up was a great moment for everyone who had been waiting for that for 15 years since iron man since nick fury said to iron man you're part of a bigger universe you just don't know it yet now all the franchises are fucking doing it. Rise of Skywalker was like, oh, Lando's going to show up with all these people and we're going to take down the Empire, even though there's no setup that that actually was going to happen. This was the exact same. All of a sudden, we're going to see Chris Pratt and Brett Bryce Dallas Howard meet Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Sam Neill, and we're going to team up and be the super paleontologist whatever. And it's like, Fuck off, Phil. Like it makes no like we're we're the paleontologist Avengers, you know. You know, let's yeah. get the dinosaurs. Yeah, like come on. This is this movie was a Jason Bourne movie wrapped in a environmentalist movie wrapped in a turd. If I if I see I liked the scene, which I do think I think it takes place in Dubai or I don't know oh, where, where, no. where it was. I did kind of like that, but here's the problem with it. We spent two films of people explaining to us that you can't train raptors. So <laughs> this woman out of nowhere who we've never met before points a laser pointer at a dude and the raptors me like, oh, I'm going to fuck that up. Like, fuck off film. It, I hated that whole set yeah. piece. Yeah. This, um, this movie was... The, the worst and this is again coming from the fact that we saw lost the lost world which is not a great sequel um i, um, I enjoyed it Ju- I jurassic 3 and fallen kingdom like this is by far the worst um jurassic park movie in the franchise and that's saying a lot now so, this movie is at what 800 million dollars mm-hmm. now there are people out there and I know of one of them. I'm sure there's many more mm-hmm. that go into these movies and say, I just want to see giant dinosaurs fight. And I'm going to refer to you to a previous comment of this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> it's because of people like you that go into, and well, this is a good transition to Marvel movies that go in and say, I just want to see my action figures get slammed together mm-hmm. and fight. If you want to see two dinosaurs fight, good for you. You know what? I, I'm happy that this movie uh, was enjoyable, but but don't tell me it's a good film. <laughs> just you, you know, if you if you want to preface it and be like, you know what? I really liked. I want to just turn my brain off. I just want to see dinosaurs doing dinosaur things, and I like Alan Grant. Uh, 
and I like Chris Pratt. Okay. I, you know what? Power to you. God bless you. But don't tell me well, this is a good film. And what was funny is I did actually try and do that. So when I went to see Jurassic World Dominion. And how many uh, drugs did you have to take to get well, there? Well, first of all, I was just, I was just coming off of having, having had COVID. So, and also um, um, my wife, uh, my wife threw her back out. So I had been doing a lot of extra, extra work and stuff. So I literally said to her, you're feeling better. I'm going to the movies and I'm just turning my brain off. I just want to see a stupid movie. Well, guess what? I got my wish. And I couldn't sit there the whole time and not be like, like, what am I doing here? Why am I sitting through this? And it's for you, audience, to give you a review, which is what this is. It was a terrible, terrible movie. Right now, it holds a 30% on Rotten Tomato. I think that's generous. That's the so, critics. That's not the audience. I know, so. I know. But um, if I'm, yeah, I know. Um, oh, God. The audience I, likes it for some reason. I don't even want to go there. I'm not even going to go there. But in, in our rating, out of 10, this is a one. One out of 10. Oh yeah, this is like this is negative triceratops. <laughs> yeah, this movie has made eight hundred and seventy-six million dollars, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a thirty, like you said, thirty percent critics, mm-hmm. but it also has a, I think it's like seventy-six. Yeah. For like people. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? I know. Please, people, write in the comments write you know message you know <laughs> write to your politician why do you like this movie what did it do for you was it yeah 77 percent? did you like it because it was just something silly you could take your kids to it was something you could take your kids to and you didn't have to worry about a but message. you couldn't take your kids to you because it's pg-13 <laughs> well there were there was there about? was five-year-old kids at the it movie and that's rated r so i think parents can do whatever they they're doing I mean, whatever they want. I mean, they can, but I'm not going to. I mean, I'm going to have to sit through fucking um, Rise of Gru or whatever. You have to you sit know, through Lightyear. Stupid... I have to sit through. Oh God, don't even. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet, and I'm not even going to go go into that. The one movie I am looking forward to is um, what's it called? Pause of Fury: The Legend of Hank. God. That looks funny. That looks oh, really my. stupid and funny. But and it's also got Mel Brooks. I can't complain. All right, so going from these stupid two... and funny. That's Stupid a good transition. Funny. There you go. Uh, I'm, I'm still working on the, my tr- transitions because I usually that don't do perfect. three movies. I usually don't do three movies. Um, the final in the trilogy of turds uh, <laughs> is a movie called Thor Love and Thunder. Okay, let's talk about this because... Do we have to? <laughs> we have to, I know. We have because the Thor movies within the context of Marvel are shit. They just are. Ragnarok has great moments, but it's not consistent. It's not a consistent, great, great allowment. It's not a great story. They kind of turned Thor into a joke in his own movie. Kind of. And the problem was Kenneth Branagh already tried to do serious Thor, and it was terrible. Then Alan Taylor tried to do even more serious Thor, and it was terrible. So I get why they said let's have a new some new blood in there and they brought in Taika Waititi and he lined things up I liked Kate Blanchett in that movie I thought she was really yeah, good great job. I thought the art that they gave to um oh what's his face the the dude who's her henchman and then he decides to die for yeah Asgard. well Carl Urban 
Carl Urban, thank you. Um, I thought that arc was actually pretty decent yeah, when it, it came to it. There were some moments that were a little too much for me. There, were, there was a little bit of like fatigue between Loki and Thor and you can only go so far. Oh. Valkyrie was a pretty decent um, character had they expanded and allowed her to have a, a true backstory and to have an actual arc and give her some emotion. Um, Tessa Thompson did the very best she could, but she was let down with um, the script. And I have to say it, I do like Korg in that movie. I mean, just- Because he's only in it for like three minutes. Exactly. And he, and he has the best moments where he's just like, Oh, I was I was trying to do a revolution, but I didn't print enough pamphlets, you know, and all this stuff. I mean, I think that's funny, but and to take because that, it was only three minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's only three scenes that he's in, and you know, and he had and he has the best line, and it was like, "We can rebuild. The foundation is still good." <laughs> no, guess what? You know, <laughs> just funny, funny, stupid shit. But yeah. you take that, and then you say, "All right, Taika." Let's give you Kant Blanche and you can do yeah. your whole Thor Love and Thunder movie. Now, when I heard that it was going to be called Love and Thunder, I didn't grow up with Thor, Thor comics. I read them and I did enjoy when Jack Kirby just was like, fuck it, let's just see what happens. And so I kind of like that. But if you're going to do a Thor movie that's light, there still has to be some kind of element of what is the story we're trying to tell? Because all I got was that Thor was tired of being a superhero and was trying to find himself by being a superhero and within the context of being a superhero. Um, he was also trying to find love, Matt. He was trying to find love. He had, no, he had love. He was just harping on the fact that he wasn't over Jane, even though the previous movie set up that Valkyrie was supposed to be the new love interest and that we were done with, with Jane. Now, don't get me wrong. I like Natalie Portman. I do like her as an actress. She, when she shows up to do a movie, she shows up. That Jackie movie was a terrible movie, but she, her performance was fucking brilliant. She, she nailed it. You know what I mean? Does, it, does she have, has she been nominated or does she have an Academy Award? She won for Black Swan, which, did, is, okay. which is a brilliant performance. Regardless. So we know that she, we know that she can act. Yes. And the fact that she made whatever she could make out of the Star Wars prequels <laughs> and she made that dialogue at least somewhat manageable, you know, she's a good actress. I actually kind of got excited when they said, oh, she's returning. So I was like, oh, they're going to close off the Jane arc, get rid of Jane. Okay, this, this would be good. The problem with it is that you don't, there's no stakes. She's going through treatment, she's going, but there's no stakes until halfway through the movie that then she finally reveals that she only had like X amount of months to live, but that's not apparent in the beginning of the movie. So you haven't set up the movie with any kind of stakes. If it's truly Jane's movie, she has to have a want that she has to try to cure this disease. And there's only like, what, a two minute montage of her in the, the lab being like, and Eric, chemo. and Eric Sobic being like, we no, can't it can't anything. be fixed. It can't be fixed. But Jane is supposedly a brilliant scientist. You, you're telling me she can't 
she has to rely on magic to 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 to, to help her also you also have valkyrie stuck being the leader uh we already saw her in endgame enjoying doing what she was doing so i don't understand where the time went also when you don't have james gunn controlling the guardians they come off as absolutely dumb and i love the guardians i absolutely i when the original guardians movie came out i was telling everyone this is going to be a hit this i love the guardians of the galaxy the movie came out and i love it i love mm-hmm. volume two i can't wait for volume three but this is what happens when you when you take james mm-hmm. james gunn's toys away from him you mm-hmm. get destroyed toys chris i Pratt. think the, i think the russo brothers the, uh, yeah the russos did, did very well did yes. an okay job with them but the reason that Russo's did so well is because James Gunn was still around to, to, yeah. to, to help and basically say, here's how the Guardians are supposed to be. Yeah. Taika was basically was like, well, I'm going to make the Guardians whatever they are, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, they were only in it for like two minutes. I know. Russell Crowe was terrible, uh, which is really odd because, again, another great, who played actor, Zeus. great actor who played Zeus, another great actor. Um, who, who did his best impersonation of a Greek sub shop owner? <laughs> he, he didn't even. He sounded. He, you know what he sounded like? He sounded like a a, a sofa salesman. Is what he sounded like. It wasn't, <laughs> like wasn't Zeus. It wasn't Zeus. You know, just do the booming. You have Russell Crowe. Just do the booming accent. As long as he doesn't sing, just let him do whatever he wants to do. Kind That's of thing. <laughs> But and then going back to what we were talking about with Korg, Korg is narrating the fucking film. So the minute Korg gets hit by Zeus's lightning, you know he's not dead. There's no stakes in this movie. There's no characters. There's no arc. Even Christian Bale, who God love him, he did his damnedest to try to give Gore something like that. But you tell me that his daughter dies, he finds a god, and he pleads. And he doesn't get what he wants. And so he turns to killing gods. But then at the very end of the movie, yep. all of a sudden he's like asking, uh, uh, um, he's, he's asking Thor, Thor to, to take, take care his, of his daughter, take care of his daughter. When through the entire movie, he has basically said, gods are immaterial. We need to destroy them. We are all out for us. There's no arc. There's Matt, no- that's character development. Didn't you know that? That's character development. Well, then I need to go back to screenwriting school because that's not how I've learned how that's to do what, That's what Handsome Guest Number One told me the other day. Goes, <laughs> that's character development. That's that's a load of shit is what it is. Yeah. I go, at, well, at what point did this development happen? Where do you see the change between I'm going to kill all the gods to I'm going to sacrifice myself to bring back my daughter? Right. At what moment did that happen? Well, it was when Jane was dying and she said, <laughs> I don't even, I, I think Jane, I think Jane said, you can bring your daughter back. But I'm like, how does Jane know he has a daughter? Yeah. How would she know yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just completely, I don't know. Okay. So, well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, Christian Bale was I have a lot eating- to say about this piece Christian Bale, Christian Bale was eating the scenery. Let's say that. And you know, um, I've heard people say he gave a fantastic performance. And to that, I say, what? 
He what gave, five minute? What five minutes are you pointing to that he, he gave a fantastic performance? Because he, he was only in it for maybe seven minutes. He gave a fantastic performance for what he was given. He because he is an actor who doesn't change dialogue. He doesn't improvise. He gets within the context of the character. He was eating the scenery. He you could tell he was having fun because Tiger probably just said be evil and maniacal but also charismatic and he's like got it i got you you know but it, it's not it's not up there with some of christian bale's greatest performances you know okay. even american hustle to me is even a way better performance than what he did here um you know so you're, you're saying for the for the script and for the scenery that he was given he gave a are you saying great because i feel like he just gave a good performance he gave a good performance he was uh you couldn't he was i mean to he say, was the best one i was going to say to say that he was the best or to say that he was the best thing to look at is doing himself him a disservice because there wasn't much to look at there wasn't that point. much to enjoy and i mean his accent went came and went um, some of his dialogue you couldn't hear because he was playing too much because he had the false teeth and all that nonsense. You so, know what it felt like? It felt like it was a parody of a Thor movie and he was playing like a parody over the top villain. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, in that regard, I, I agree to give a good performance. Yeah, the villain is not up there with Hans Gruber or any kind even if you look at comic book films like even to me like ultron is still in a, a bigger threat than gore was you know what i mean so and still threatening i mean just james spader talk reading the phone book is 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 intimidating to me but that's just me um but to me this movie failed completely and it seemed like it was and maybe this has been happening a lot with Marvel movies. It seems like it's just biding time. It didn't, the thing that a lot of commentators have been saying is that even though in the first three phases leading into the Infinity Saga, you had a gradual progression with each film to basically display, oh, this is where we're going. We're leading to, the MacGuffin is actually uh, an Infinity Stone. We're leading to Thanos. How is Thanos going to get them all? It made sense to lead into the big bad. Uh -huh. To go from No Way Home into the Eternals, into um, Multiverse of Madness, taking out WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Shang-Chi, Shang all those things. Black Widow. There's so many things that they don't, they're not in a cohesive structure, especially now that you've set up that these movies are supposedly a cohesive structure. I don't see where we're going. All I see is that we were biding time that you know, maybe Chris Hemsworth had another movie under his contract and we needed to get a Thor movie out. Mm -hmm. um, we needed to make sure people remembered that Jane Foster was a character and that we're going to kill her. And Tessa Thompson might be leading us into, you know, uh, um, you know, the female Avengers. This and but, but then it ends with Hercules is now going to go after Thor, which doesn't really lead anything. Plus, you had Jeff Goldblum, Peter Dinklage, and Lena Headey in roles, and you cut them from the 
final like those are great actors and if you cut them for this for the for the shit you gave us that oh. doesn't that that shows a lack of focus within these movies and i know um kevin feige recently said that within the next couple of movies you will see where we're going i hope to fuck yeah, right. sure i hope to fuck sure because i'm starting to i'm starting to lose interest and i'm a marvel fanboy um and i'm starting to just get tired of going to a movie and not getting any payoffs not getting any structure any characters any emotional arcs and nothing to to for my movie critic mind to gravitate to to say this is a great movie so the, the last time that happened was no way home to a certain extent but that's only because the last couple that have come out have just been absolute bullshit go ahead chris let's i think it would be very instructive for your listeners to understand where we're coming from and i think you have a very unique perspective because you are i mean you're an author you're a playwright you know like when i say there was character i said but matt there was character development you're like well i gotta go back and re re refresh my memory because that's not what i remember of character development and i've studied it and i've written things where characters developed develop. so i want to take i think this would be fun i want to give you two to three talking points mm -hmm. from the studio that handsome guest number one told me and this is what the this is what the fans are being fed mm -hmm. And don't get me in, you know, oh, don't, right. don't kid right. yourself. Yep. You are being fed this because, you know, it's like, don't trust your lying eyes. It's like, no, I, I know. So I'm going to give you, and then you tell me why it's wrong from your experience. And you, you know, maybe you can talk about this is maybe what real character development would look like. So mm -hmm. let's take character development first. I have heard Thor. <laughs> I don't know how you say this, but I've heard people say, oh, Thor had some really good character development in this movie. So now you're saying no, and maybe you can tell me why. It's because and, at the very beginning, so I go by the beginning and the end. Maybe talk um, about what, what is character development. So character development is basically that a character goes through a moment. It's not, again, a cradle to grave moment that doesn't that's just um, so within we, the story we character development from the beginning of the story the character is one particular way it mm. he believes a certain set of um beliefs he has certain goals aspirations and he has certain wants through his experience whether or not he gets those wants or not he so he the best way to explain it is that the character wants the girl he wants to get the job he wants to get to philadelphia then there's conflict something prevents him from getting the girl getting the job or getting to philadelphia at the end of the movie he has either gotten the girl gotten the job or gotten to philadelphia and he has different points of view from what he has experienced he is a different person he has experienced certain things and certain those certain beliefs have then turned into something new. For example, a character goes through a situation where they, let's say the Prince the Papa is the best example, that someone is very rich and then one day wakes up and loses it all, loses everything they have. And then at the end of the movie, they got everything back, 
but there's a little bit of a difference that they don't spit on the poor. They actually embrace the poor and they want to do something with the money. Scrooge, um, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, great example. He's a penny pincher, he's a miser. By the end of the thing, he is a loving and gracious man. And generous person. And generous person. There is a character arc. Okay, so now, now that we've laid that out, tell me why Thor has no character development using because, those elements. Because at the very beginning of the film, very beginning of the film, he's looking for purpose. He wants to have some sort of purpose. But at the same time, but at the same time, you don't really know what he wants because he doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know if he wants to continue being an Avenger. He doesn't know if he just wants love. He kind of throws out that he wants to be a dad possibly and have like a family, but there's no, there's nothing that's sustainable to that. Then at the end, he has a kid, but it's not his kid. The kid doesn't listen to him. He isn't acting like a father figure. He, it's basically just comic foil. And then oh. he goes out with the kid to fight some random villain or some random yeah. yep. whatever, whatever that was. So if you're looking at it from an arc, he is exactly the same as he is. The only difference is now he has a responsibility. But he had the responsibility before because he was with the Guardians yes. and he was protecting the Guardians or protecting the people. So if you want he wants something to protect at the very beginning he has something to protect at the very end he has something to protect very similar to dr strange dr strange at the very beginning of the movie is not the sorcerer supreme and he just finished like he he doesn't know what he wants by the end he's still not the sorcerer supreme and he doesn't know what he wants that's exactly the only the only one recently that has an arc at the very beginning of No Way Home, Peter wants to go to college with his friends and he wants to be with his friends. At the end of No Way Home- He wants things to go back to the way they were. At the No, but at the end, he gives up his friends because he knows they are going to get in danger and they're going to get hurt if they keep following him. So he decides I'm going to go at it alone because I can't risk people dying because of me. And, and in the beginning of that movie, he thought he could have he could be a superhero and go to college and have his yes. friends. He, th he thought he could have everything. Yes. And he realizes he has to pick and choose and, and the life he has chosen is that of a hero. Yes. So that is, okay. I, so. That is the last Marvel movie I, that had an arc. That had okay, a so I think that you elaborated on that brilliantly. I don't know how your listeners could not see that. That just because you change the, the baggage or the responsibility doesn't make that character development yeah. because thor's beliefs his attitude about who he is and what his responsibilities actually mean to him are the same and we can discuss does the movie even earn any of that but i, I think that's a good um character i i also would say gore does not have any character development and okay. here's why and, and you tell me if i'm wrong here's why i would say that we see at the beginning of the movie gur Gore, Gur. It's him and his daughter, and she's dying of, I guess, you know, to quote to quote Adam Taylor, the dehydration. My daddy died of the dehydration from Waterboy, but she's dying from. She's lost the will to live. Yeah, I, I don't know why she's dying. I mean, honestly, it's like, why is she dying? It doesn't. No one knows. And that girl, horrendous actress, because she's dying, and it's like a stone face. And then her dad brings her back, and then he's dying, and it's a stone face. Let's leave that aside. 
So she's dying, horrible performance. Christian Bale giving a great performance. I actually had like a little tear in my eye. I'm like, oh, this is I'm like, oh, this is actually this movie I may enjoy. There's actually yeah. some heart and some emotions and some stake. I had so, some tear, I had some tear the fact that Christian Bale was acting opposite this terrible actress, and he was probably oh, like, yeah. give me something to work with. <laughs> oh that would have yeah. been a great meltdown of him yelling at the, <laughs> at the girl. That would have been a I, I, I bet that's in the four-hour cut of this movie. <laughs> so so she dies the sword i guess calls to him he walks through the desert stumbles on an oasis um the god his god i guess in that world um kind of taunts him Mm. and this is the first moment of the movie where i'm like "Uh uh-oh we're in trouble thematically because we just had this really emotional sad scene and then we get into a scene where a god is taunting him for losing his daughter and you can hear Taika Waititi throwing in jokes from the God. I'm like, uh-oh, this is not a joking moment. He just lost his daughter and you're joking to these other spirits of, oh, this is, this is one of mine. Like, this isn't one of mine. It's like, why, like what? And the CGI looked horrible for it anyway. Yeah. So then he killed, so then the, the gods, he goes, I'm, I renounce my face. And, and the God goes, well, you know, I'm going to kill you. Why does the God want to kill him? I don't know. So then he gets the sword and he kills the god okay the theory is the sword corrupts the user but we don't see any of that we don't see any corruption we don't see him torn between he was a loving father to now he's a god butcher we don't see any of that development he just all of a sudden turns into an omega level villain that starts kicking butt yeah okay that's not character development because number one, we don't see any of it. And number two, it's we're, we, we haven't finished the arc in order for it to be development, right? So the development would have to, so he went from a loving father to a God butcher. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't see any of how that happened. So then we get to the pinnacle of the movie and his mission is to kind of get to this special place, make a wish to kill all the gods. Okay, we're going up there. Now, if he Thanoses it, and kills all the gods and then is happy i would say okay that is character relevant because he starts in one way and ends it the other way i'm happy i killed all the gods okay but then he goes full circle and goes i'm actually not going to kill the gods i'm going to be a good father so what has he learned absolutely we could take out all the middle and if we just put him at literally the beginning and last scene of the movie we see him with his daughter (laughs) dying and then we see him dying and his daughter with him going back to the exact same way that's not development because we don't see any of the conflict that brought him back to being a good father yeah now am i missing something or you're absolutely correct because he is it is the same note the whole way and you're absolutely right the thing that i think marvel which marvel has never done villains great because we never see the arc. The only couple villains that are good are like Killmonger has a great, great arc throughout the whole all of uh, in Black Panther. That's a great. You can tell that Ryan Coogler really had a hand in trying to fix that. Um, but the problem with Gore is absolutely that like he instantly go decides all gods must die, but we don't have we don't feel that he just tells us that in movies you have to. The greatest thing is to see a character make decisions 
but they don't vocalize their decisions because they don't dumb it down to the audience. They don't have that. The, there are some great examples. There's a great example. The best example I can actually think of is in Schindler's List. We've seen Oscar Schindler through the whole thing profit off of the Jews. Now they're liquidating the ghettos. He is standing on a horse with his secretary girlfriend watching all of this and he doesn't say a fucking thing he stands there and just watches them and she's like oh let's get out of here and he's just staring and he sees the girl in the red walking down the street and no one's touching her and he's and then the next scene you hear him yelling about the fact that his workers are no longer there so you as an audience member have to decide wait is he yelling because he's losing profit or has he actually changed that is a great question to have within the context of this movie. Same thing with A Clockwork Orange. When Alex, when Alex um, goes through the whole um, 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 memory washing thing, mm -hmm. is he actually reformed or is he playing a part? Kubrick never gives us that answer. Also, Kubrick never gave us the answer on what the fuck the baby at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey is. You don't have to give audiences all of your answers. You don't have to be like, I'm going to make a villainy, a villainous statement, and you're going to believe it because you just saw me do something villainous. He killed the, the, the man, the, the god that he spent all of his life worshiping. How is that not a bigger yes. moment? And how, and how do you not, how do you, the next line after he does that is all gods must die. It shouldn't yes. be that. The next line, there should, should be, be, oh my God, what have I done? No, there shouldn't be another line. It should be, he did it. And now he's holding this, this sword. Yes. And you could even do um, a Dr. Octopus moment where he's sitting there going like half crying, half laughing, and he can't figure out what the fuck he's going to do. And yes. You have Christian Bale, one of the greatest, greatest yes. actors of our time, right up there with Tom Hardy. You give him a moment where you tell him, just be, don't say a fucking thing, just be, just exist, have a Spielberg moment where you're looking off into the distance and the camera's moving towards you and the audience has to decide, what are you thinking? Give them that fucking moment because that's yeah. that's filmmaking, that's movies. I mean, it, it's, br it's brilliant what you said. I mean, the, for what you said, exactly right. This is a man who has, who has, his daughter just died. He was turning to his God for help, realized that there was no God which has been done in movies and grabs a sword and kills his God. That is an epic moment. Mm -hmm. And this loving father who then turns into a killer. Yeah. How you're right. How do you not give a great actor the sandbox to explore those emotions. Yeah. And the theory is that the sword corrupts, right? Yeah. How do you not show his corruption of being a loving God-worshipping father to now a God-butcher? And it's implied that the sword will eventually take the life of its user. How do you not then show him struggle with the path he has chosen to give up his life to kill all the gods?
Here's the other thing that you that you had an opportunity within this movie. Natalie Port, whatever, we're not going to talk about Jane. She was wasted in this movie. It was a terrible arc for her. There was no arc. Jane is dying of cancer. She picks up uh, uh, the hammer and well, every, time, it. every time <laughs> she every time she uses it, oh yeah, yeah. it drains the blood from her. Allegedly. How do you not parallel? her wanting to live and oh, utilizing utilizing a, a, a MacGuffin, an item, at the same time, Gore is on this quest to kill all the gods and the sword is sucking the life from him. How do you not, that is your, that is your story right there. That's your parallel. That's the moment that you can literally do so much, especially if you have an actress like Natalie Portman and an actor like Christian Bale. Yes. Forget Chris Hemsworth. Forget, have him language in the middle. I don't give a shit. Have Valkyrie be with him and they, you know, do whatever. You've got two of the greatest, greatest actors next to each other in the same fucking movie two academy awarding actors and if you gave them a parallel of we are the exact same which then if you were a little bit more of a crafting artist you see how i just i'm a i'm a writer and you're just I'm going off, you're, you're just going off the dome i'm just going off the dome i didn't even think about this i know i seriously don't have any notes in front of me to come up with this i just thought of it right here oh, we how, how do you how do you not come with these with this parallel making yeah. that the fucking story and then when you get to the end and she says you should remember your don't not even say wish for your daughter to be alive just for her to say remember your daughter and then you see all this crushing feet and he wishes for it and the last moment maybe he's he the, the sword finally sucks everything out and as he's dying he then sees his daughter that would be much more impactful than what we fucking got. But here's the thing. It, I mean, it's, it's number one, it's great. I mean, it, once, once again, better. ladies Works and gentlemen, this is what happens when someone who actually does this for a living is gets a hold of actually, you know, these properties and what they can do. But Disney doesn't well, want to hire, well, Disney doesn't want to hire creative artistic people. Well, well technically Taika Waititi works, does this for a living, but he's more of a better director than a- Well, writer. he's more, he's trying to be a comedian, not a director. That's true. But Natalie Portman breaks his sword. Mm. Wouldn't there be a moment where then the sword spell over him is, it's like a darkness is lifted and then- and then he realizes, oh my God, what have I become? The sword is destroyed and yet you're still gonna make this wish to kill all the gods? Why? If the sword is corrupting you mm -hmm. and the sword breaks, and we've seen this in many films, the object of like, I mean- what, the, Ma I the MacGuffin, it, the MacGuffin. The, but I mean, what's the, what's the last movie where like the something was holding power over someone and it broke? And then they're like, oh my God, what have I become? You know, I, I'm sure everybody can just think of a movie like that because it's in so many, it's a trope really. Mm. But, and then he still wants to make that wish. And then, and then she talks him out of it. It, it ruins the moment of the sword breaking, the power that held over him. And we, and why he's making this decision to bring, and here's the other thing. Why are you bringing your daughter back to be with your mortal enemy? Mm -hmm. This whole film 
has set up the dichotomy between Chris Helmsworth and, and Christian Bale. And he's like, you're my enemy. We don't see him change his feelings for Thor. Why do you think Thor would be a good dad to your daughter? Right. It, you're granted any wish in the universe. It, I, I mean, I, I, just, I just have to think that the writers, they, they're like a dog chasing its tail and they have all the money in the world and they, they catch their tail, but they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They don't know how to tell good stories and they don't understand they don't understand payoffs. They really don't. No, no. You have a moment, a payoff, basically. The best example I can give from a recent movie, Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Oh, good movie. At the very beginning of the film, we set up this whole, the war boys are going to off themselves and they say, witness me as they're falling to their death. Okay. That's fair. That makes sense. Okay. So we see Nux, um, um, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Holt, do it twice. He, um, he, he's gonna destroy uh, Furios's rig okay. and take himself with him and Tom Hardy stops him. He does it a second time after he has his moment with Immortan Joe, he's given the gun and he's going to kill Furiosa, but he misses his moment. Okay. Great. Okay, through the rest of the movie, he actually decides to be on the side with Furiosa and um, Max. Great. At the very end of the movie, spoiler alert for a movie that's like 10 years old, um, he wants to join them, but he's got Immortan Joe's son, um, Rictus, now about to basically destroy the rig and kill them and then go after the girls. What does he do? He sacrifices himself. And instead of dying for Immortan Joe and for a cause that is absolutely cultish, he dies for human beings. And the last line he and says, and love. And the last thing he says is, witness me. Dies, offs himself, boom. And he sacrificed himself for the better good of the people as opposed to that. But that's called payoff. You hear witness me from the very beginning you realize what that means at the very end it means something completely different that's how you do writing okay if you were to give me a moment even like so yes i loved watching christian bale eat the scenery and play to kids but how do you not have a moment where he's looking at these children and he is thinking of his daughter his daughter yeah and there's so much conflict within him i'm like I'm going to kill these kids, but my daughter's like, and then the sword can further corrupt him more and say, you are doing the right thing or what, you know, whatever you want to decide to do. There's so much art within this. Now, if you also want to do the whole, like, he's a God killer, that allows that. So here's something that if you want to do an arc properly for Thor, Thor thinks he has nothing to fight for at the very beginning. He is lost. He's going after a god killer, meaning this motherfucker could kill Thor. How is that notion not bigger? How is it made fun of so many different times? And how is Thor not re-energized to be like, oh my God, I could actually die 
if this like even so much as like Thor actually witnesses another god like let's say that Thor, yeah we don't see any gods really die no but that fight on new asgard maybe another god comes comes exactly there and he sees gore fight him and often right away then you've got stakes you've got thor being like yes. oh i could actually die and i'm willing to do it for the kids for asgard etc yes. etc and then he's got something to fight for then you've got him having an arc and then by the end he has decided he's a superhero but not just a superhero that wants the glory which is basically what he's wanted pretty much the entire time now he's like i have something bigger to fight for right. and i could possibly die in the process and i'm okay with that but listen matt we got that in ragnarok he put yes. us we and and taiko Waititi wrote that movie so how does he then he actually devolved thor's yeah. character and turned him he went from being the king of Asgard to subjugating that to now being this weird stepdad. Yeah. How is that character development? How are you evolving the character? And, you know, that moment with his daughter in the beginning, she doesn't say anything memorable. Nope. She doesn't say anything memorable. Nope. And if there was maybe some type of line in there, maybe we could have had a payoff at the end of the movie maybe she comes back and and says the thing to him that helps him real that helps him deal with his guilt or sadness yeah. of what he's done even if she said like at, as she's dying in christian bale's arms again you get a good actress um oh, the, yeah, the, the, so the daughter says something like dada protect me and then as christian bale is now dying and she says, like, will you protect me? Looking at Thor. And Thor says, I will protect you. And then Gore, then Gore can see, ah, he just did it. He went through all of this. I, I don't, he could even be like, I don't still trust gods. I trust you because of what we've been through together. That's a formidable foe. That's a foe being able, that's a mutual respecting foe. That's like when Hans Gruber looks at Bruce Willis and is like, fuck, we are matched. We are exactly on the same level as each other. Fuck, this is going to be fun. You know what I mean? That's, that's how you do villainy. But I mean, Matt, it's so easy with this. You got the kids there. How easy would it have been for, for, Thor to be having to save the kid's life and, and Gore is, is standing in his way and he's a, and the kids are about to die and Gore has to make a decision of save the kids or kill all the gods and, and he's conflicted about his daughter and then the sword breaks mm -hmm. and then he snaps out of it and then he goes oh my god I gotta save these kids but the only way to save the kids is to do the wish and to kill his and to sacrifice himself yeah. that would have been that would have been cool that i would have loved that movie I would that have, would have I been would, character development that, that would now, be character yeah now i want to i want to give you one more talking point this idea of well matt you just didn't like it because your expectations were too high i actually heard handsome guest number one say to me and he's never said this before so i know that's why i know it's a talking point mm -hmm. 
you know, maybe I just didn't like it because my expectations were too high. Can you dispel this myth for people, Matt, that you're expect that that we as a consumer, number one, mm-hmm. but two, also as people who have who are familiar with mythology and stories, that our expectations were just too high going into this movie. So anyone who says my expectations are too high, um, honestly doesn't know what they're talking about because my my personal expectations are not high my expectation is i go in and see a story an actual beginning middle and end based on what i know is a story character development that allows for characters to grow and learn something maybe not something smart not even like you know all i i learned quantum physics you know i learned how to be a good person I learned how to care about something other than myself. I learned, et cetera, et cetera. And then to take a good story, good character development, and a good conflict, not even villain, adversary, um, antagonist, just a conflict that gets in the way of the character's want of to be somewhere. I want the girl. I want the job. I want to get to Philadelphia. I want something. I personally just, if you did a movie about my want of a movie, I just want story characters and then good acting, good development, good writing, and not just something that to me reminds me, someone said this and I totally agree. So I, if I go to a movie, if I pay money to see a movie, I want to have a three-course meal mm. at one of the best restaurants, at Gordon Ramsay's restaurants. I'm not expecting a happy fucking meal, which is what Marvel has become. It is a oh, ha- happy meal. Basically what Batman became in the in the 90s after mm-hmm. after Batman returns where it became consumerism it became we need to sell these toys we need to keep these characters in your mind because five years down the line they will team up with all the other IPs that we have why do you think Pixar keeps doing Toy Story memorabilia mo- moments why do you think Disney keeps um, pushing out their IPs from the 90s and making live action films about them. Why is Marvel continuously making sure we know who Thor is, we know who Valkyrie is, and we remember Jane Foster, and then, oh, we're going to put in this person and this person, and then, like Sam Raimi said, we're going to put in people that you casted, you, meaning us, the consumers, we're going to give you what you want, but we're not going to give it to you the way we think that you want it. Mm. All of that is just leading down a pathway because, and if anyone wants to say, I let, I let my expectations get too high, Marvel set up those expectations. They yes, gave us, exactly. they gave us Toby and Andrew in, and, and Doc and William Defoe, um, um, Doc Ock. They gave us all that in Spider-Man No Way Home. Then they said, we're going to up the ante in Multiverse of Madness, which it was the multiverse of one multiverse. Um, And we got all that. Now they're saying, okay, Thor is going to be crazy. Well, it wasn't crazy. Ragnarok was a much more bigger departure to that. 
Ragnarok was basically saying, we're going to take Thor and we're going to make him exactly like the comics. Love and Thunder is basically going to be like, you liked Ragnarok? We're going to make it dumb. And I don't like when we're going to make it like the honeymooners. We're going to make it like the honeymooners. I don't like it when when that happens. And expectation expectations are going to come in when you talk about these big IPs. If you were creating an original superhero and putting it out there, God knows who would buy it, but there would be an audience for it, and you wouldn't have any expectations. You would just want a good story, a good character development, and some interesting moments, especially since you have a film, some interesting visuals. The CGI in this was terrible. Oh, yeah. The um, sound design was terrible. The editing yep. was atrocious. Yep. And it's not that I'm sitting there going, I expect something more. I'm not the the, the comic nerd who's like, worst movie ever. I'm not that guy. I literally want to go into a movie, enjoy the movie. I don't go into a movie being like, all right, movie, what you got? I go in the movie being like, I got my popcorn, I got my drink, I got my candy. Okay, show me something good. And when I get disappointed, I get pissed off. And that's what these this movie did. That's what Elvis did. And that's what uh, Jurassic Park Dominion did, is that it disappointed me and pissed me off. And this is the way of all the movies. And this is why every movie I fucking see of recent, of recent movies have been like this. Now, I haven't seen everything and what's it called everything oh, and, and everything everything everywhere all at once i haven't brilliant. seen that. have you seen top gun no that, okay so that was brilliant too so let me let me can contrast what you're saying to a movie like top gun that is an ip of many years mm-hmm. so you know came out in the 80s i think or yes. early 90s yep. yeah 80s. 80s everybody knows the story it's a it's a classic um this is a movie where um, I think it did the source material. I think it did the previous movie uh, justice. I loved the movie. I've seen it twice. I might go see it a third time. Amazing movie. And you know what you don't hear from the critics in this movie? Mm. You don't hear anything about expectations. Mm-hmm. You don't hear, well, you know, you just liked it because your expectations are low. You didn't hear, oh, well, you know, your expectations are X, Y, and Z. That's why you like this movie. No, you don't hear anything about expectations. The only time you hear about expectations is when movies are not good and they're trying to justify why they're not good. Because the reality is we all have our expectations and biases when we go into movies Mm -hmm. because we've all seen movies. We've all heard stories. Now, a movie like Everywhere everything everywhere all at once i had no idea what to expect going in i didn't see i saw one trailer i heard good reviews i like michelle yon one and i'm like you know what this will be fun and i or actually i, I didn't even know that this was gonna be fun i was just like you know what i'm curious you've, you've intrigued me movie let's see what you got and i mean truly one of the best movies of the year maybe one of my favorite movies of all time now why did i like that that's a movie that I had zero expectations. But like Matt said, my expectations were at the foundation of why I even went to the movie and wasted my time and money was I'm going to see a story that's going to have an arc, mm-hmm. that's going to tell me something, that's going to hit me on an emotional level, whether that emotion is sadness, 
happiness, fear, you know, joy, it's going to do something. And, and the idea that my expectations for Thor, a character that we've seen for now 10 years that has had uh, three plus the Avengers movies before, oh, your expectations where you don't know what you want out of a Thor movie. I mean, go F off. I know exactly what I want out of a movie and screaming goats are not it. And, and ha- seeing you waste Christian Bale, Natalie Portman, Chris Helmsworth, seeing you waste their talents on this kids movie garbage. No, that's not my fault. That's not your fault, listener. That's their fault. Mm-hmm. And I, I really get bothered when I hear people say, you, the fan, you, the audience, it's your fault that this movie sucks. No, it's not. Because there's a thousand other movies that I like that I had nothing to do with that just happen to be good movies. Yeah. yeah, that's all we want. We just want good movies. And so far, the ones we've talked about have been pretty shit. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to our discussion. Um, oh, so uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, four, uh, out of, four out of 10. I give it three screaming goats. I was about to say, how many screaming goats? (laughs) I give it three screaming jokes, which once again, an example of a bit, maybe it's funny once, not funny every other scene. Exactly. So, um, all right. So I don't know what movies are going to be coming out. Nope. Uh, Is the next one I'm looking forward to with Jordan Peele. I might see that only, I've seen Get Out. I haven't seen. um, I didn't like Us. Us, I haven't seen Us, but and I'm not a huge horror fan, but I might see it. It might be on the list for this coming month. But we're going to start doing this. So, like I said, this is the third time we've done this with Chris, but we're going to start calling it the Movie Boys, and we're going to start um, doing it a little bit more often, as often as we can get to the movies and see recent movies and let you know what we think about them. Um, and once I, again, if you know you, the listener, put your comments and let us know what movies you want us to look at. What movies are you interested in seeing? You know, help help us kind of figure out what might be the next movie to destroy or prop up. Um, yeah, and uh, if you if you have any suggestions, email me at matthewdarkgarland at gmail.com. I want to thank my uh, uh, the uh, my uh, ugly guest number three, uh, Chris, for coming on the show. Uh, do thank uh, handsome. Uh, uh, movie yeah, handsome goer, guest number one. Have handsome guest number one, and a quick also thank you to a couple people who I made an announcement on Facebook that we would be um, doing these reviews, and it sounds like people are very interested in what we have to say. So again, on Facebook, if you want to message me at uh, you know Matthew Garland, uh, give us some ideas on what you'd like us to see as well. Um, and, that, and if you disagree or agree with what yeah, we said, it, or you know, we, we love fan engagement. Absolutely. So um, thank you all so much. Uh, please check out old episodes of everything you never need to know about movies, music, and theater. Check out the movie critics. Uh, new episodes are going to be starting to drop soon. Uh, I've run into a little bit of a technical error, so that's why there has been no episode for a while, but there will be a new episode coming soon. Check out Mass Mouse Fans, Chris Rose's great um, podcast as well. And please be safe, take care of each other, no violence, and have a good night. What would you give to never have to worry about the way your body looks ever again? Hi, I'm Jackie, body image expert, 
confidence coach, and owner of Confident Girl Hotline. We are here to help you heal the relationship you have with your body by healing the trauma in your body that has been inflicted upon you by the diet and wellness industry. We do this through somatic healing. We are running one-on-one -on -one sessions virtually, group classes, and even doing workshops for both adult women and teen girls. Please check us out at www.confidentgirlhotline.com. We're also on Instagram and TikTok.